0: And so Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning for the few minutes we'll spend now in your word. You'd help me to reliably teach it. You'd help us to have eyes to see Jesus exalted through it and that by your spirit it would work in our lives, whatever that might mean for each one of us, that you might... Help us to leave our gathering this morning fueled and energised to navigate the life that you've given us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Jeff. Please um, do take a seat. And uh, if you've got a Bible, then please open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you haven't got a Bible, then please help yourself to one of the church's blue ones, uh, bluey-green ones. It's page 1177. So it's page 1177 of these uh, turquoise Bibles that the churches have, uh, or it's Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look just at verse 9 this morning, and we'll come on to it in just a second. Um, I'm deeply encouraged and I hope you are as well. I'm deeply encouraged. I've had a couple of days off over half term and it's a good chance to reflect Uh, and I've been deeply encouraged to recognise that there's all sorts of growth in the church, deeply encouraged to see people um, coming to church, and I hope you are as well. I'm really encouraged by the demograph of the people who have arrived at our church and found us a place, a family, to belong over the last uh, year or so. Lots of young families and lots of folk in their 20s, lots of folk retired, uh, and across the whole spectrum um, there's people engaging and being part of it. I'm really encouraged about Midweek Connect. A year ago, almost to to the day, a year ago and a couple of months ago maybe, we launched Midweek Connect, the Wednesday lunchtime uh, kind of gathering service to support Christians and reach folk on the technology park. And it's a small band, but it's consistent and supporting one another. And I'm really encouraged by that right at the heart of people's work day, that chance to get together um, and support one another as Christians. I'm very encouraged about Children's Church. I know with four young boys, uh, we're, uh, we're a key part of that. But to expand the groups and need more space for children and uh, to, to have in one sunday a few months ago six new people volunteer to lead and be part of that children's church work really encouraged by how ruth who leads it all has driven through all the dbs checks and crb checks and <laughs> organising of it so within a month of saying we needed it today it's up and running and all the rest so i hope you're encouraged Um, by that, and enthused by that. I'm really encouraged by the little cluster of teenagers that we're getting more and more of on a Sunday morning and midweek. I find Roberta, our new intern, has come in like a whirlwind of energy, and I hope you're encouraged by her presence. I'm pointing there because she normally sits uh, on that side, but she's out there uh, with the young people um, now, and it's great. I'm really encouraged to be in conversation, very initial tentative conversation, with two younger men who feel that they're called to permanent, full-time ministry, apart ordained ministry in the life of the church and it may or may not be right for those two younger men to do that but i hope you'll join me in praying for them and be encouraged about that possibility to be a church that is sending out ministers uh, to, to lead other churches i'm thrilled by sand and road and the redevelopment down there we've got a roof I don't know if you've driven past recently, but it has a roof, hurrah! Uh, that was a bit southern, wasn't it? But we have a roof, roof on there, which is which is fantastic. And I'm really thrilled to be looking at a preschool that can take up to 50 children when it moves back into that building. Partly I'm thrilled because I won't be responsible for any of them, and it's someone else's job. But I'm really excited about that and the brigades and the marching band and the toddler groups and uh, the services, the Sunday evening service, all located back there at the building. I'm really excited about the kernel, the beginnings, the seed that is germinating of launching an afternoon service down at Sand and Road that will cater for families and others who just find Sunday morning far too traumatic a time of the week to get their family uh, to church or perhaps it clashes with shift work or it clashes with sports commitments and so an afternoon service to join our two midweek services and our our Sunday morning. I'm really, really encouraged by chaplaincy. Did you know Matt's the police headquarters chaplain? And uh, uh, Matt and I do stuff in terms of the university chaplaincy and I'm the MOD chaplain and padre chaplain to the military community here. And it's fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic that a few weeks ago we had people leaving their shift work at both those locations and being allowed the time to come to church during their work hours by their supervisors because of the relationship that that supervisor had with the chaplain who is part of the church. Fantastic stuff, isn't it? Paid to go to church. Imagine that if your job did that. Uh, I'm really excited about the beginning of a conversation with House of Bread about how we and House of Bread uh, could partner together and to release people to launch appropriate forms of church for those who are homeless and vulnerably housed and partnering together with House of Bread um, to do that. I hope you're encouraged By that, reaching the most vulnerable, the very ones Jesus himself, I think, would have walked alongside, slept alongside on the street and been part of their lives. And I'm really encouraged. That the Beacon Friendship Group, as we call it, which is for our retired and older folk, seems to just go from strength to strength. And now we we do these communion services, which we've done for a long time at uh, Marsden Court, uh, and uh, are really involved there. So I hope you're encouraged. Are you encouraged? I suspect many of you are. I'm really encouraged, and I hope you are too, about people who are coming to church. And the reason I'm encouraged by that is because I'm wholeheartedly, deeply, fully, without hesitation or reserve, convinced that the church is the best place for life to flourish from without hesitation and I wasn't part of church till I was 21 or 22 so I don't come with the encultured, brainwashed child experience where you cannot imagine not going to church my prayer is my children have that experience they grow up without any concept of church not being central to their lives but I didn't and so I reflect and I say I'm so encouraged that people come to church not because we run out of seats not because we have to expand the children's work not because we have to rebuild a building but because people's lives flourish when they are rooted in the church, and the reason people's lives flourish when they are rooted in the church friends, is because Jesus is the central character here, Jesus is the one we make much of, Jesus is the one we celebrate, Jesus is the one we follow, Jesus is the one we love, worship, trust, obey and delight in. And if that is not your experience, then today would be an absolutely fantastic day to say, not only am I going to follow Jesus, I'm going to embrace his people, as smelly and grimy as we can be, I'm going to embrace his people. Life flourishes here. So I hope you are deeply encouraged, like I am, about people coming to church. But do you know, at a tectonically deeper level, that's a geology term, it means way down, at a way deeper level, I am concerned about how people go out from church. Encouraged about people coming, but at a far, far deeper level concerned and focused on how people go out from church. That they leave church, that you and I leave church energized and encouraged and equipped to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. That people can come and all Jesus is concerned about is that they come. He doesn't care how they come, he doesn't care what they wear, he doesn't care what order their life may or may not be in all he cares about is that they come more though, Jesus cares about how we go out, doesn't he? changed, transformed, altered, helped, benefited, blessed by being in this gathered group and repeatedly, the Bible tells us that be deeply concerned about getting people into church but be tectonically deeper concerned about how people go out how they're going to live their life having had the experience of this moment in church. In, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul puts it like this, he says, Therefore you are Christ's ambassadors, as if God was making his appeal through you. Well, think for a moment, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador's job, isn't it, is to leave the comfort and safety of their own nation and culture and go and live in and amongst an utterly different culture and to represent their king and their country there. You and I are Christ's ambassadors, sent out into every nook and cranny of our lives to be a representative, to talk about what Jesus' nation is actually like to talk about what Jesus as the good and great king is actually like to invite people and you don't need any complicated visas to get in to invite people to come and join that community with Jesus as king it's about how we leave church and live outside the walls isn't it ambassadors our boys just have a brain break for a moment I'm taking the boys down to London tomorrow our older two a, five year, a six year old and a four year old so pray your hearts out if you want down to London we're going to take them on the, the, the London Eye I'm going to, and uh, we're going to go to the Science Museum and a couple of other things. And guaranteed, the thing they'll come back and tell their mum about is that the tube was really good. But that's what we're going to do. And Isaac desperately wants to see the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben, because they've been learning about it at school. And that led us on to the discussion about the difference between the Home Office and the Foreign Office. Do you have these discussions with your six-year-old? This is where Isaac is. And I pretty much confused myself entirely, uh, but at the end he said, yes, I understand it. And then I asked him this question, I said, Isaac, do you think, and I described the Home Office as being concerned about things that happen in this country and the Foreign Office being concerned about things that happen in other places, and I said, do you think the church is meant to be a Home Office or a Foreign Office? And Isaac very rightly said, the church is a Foreign Office. And he's right. We're sent out as diplomats, aren't we? Ambassadors. We're sent out. Go, go and make disciples. Or well, how about this reference about it's our work, the world out there that we're called to represent and, and this gathering, this moment this, the, the church is to fuel us and to energise us, it's not the only thing that church is about but it's a key thing. How about Romans 12 verse 1, this is what it says Therefore brothers and sisters I urge you in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship in view of God's mercies, his abounding, unending, ever-escalating mercies, love and grace, offer what? Your hour and a half on a Sunday morning? No. Offer your bodies, the Greek word means the entirety, everything that you are, offer it all. Whenever you are in your body, offer that moment in worship. So that's pretty much everything, isn't it? Nothing's excluded from that moment, is it? And that is your what act of worship? Your reasonable act. Your appropriate. If you've experienced and known the mercies, the abounding mercies of God, then the only logical response is everything offered. In worship, including work and family and leisure and every front line you can imagine. Can I give you one more reference to drive it home? Because I think this is so important before we come to our actual text. What about uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31? I love it. It says this. It says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And why I love it is can you think of anything else more mundane than eating or drinking. I mean, if eating and drinking, those necessities of life, if they are included as an arena in which the glory of God can be shown, then is anything excluded? And just in case we think it is, did you get the middle clause, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So I'm hugely encouraged that we've seen the church growing and developing, hugely, massively amazed and on my knees in praise that Jesus, our head, our leader, God, our Father, the Spirit, our great guide, is doing that. And long may it continue, it is in his hands and his hands alone. May we be faithful, but the fruitfulness is his. But at a much deeper level, I am convicted about how people go out from church. That they go out able to say, I am Christ's ambassadors as a young mum. I am Christ's ambassadors as I drive that vehicle long haul. I am Christ's ambassadors as I swing the golf club at the golf course. I am Christ's ambassadors wherever my life has taken me. That we leave church and we're able to say, as I change a nappy, this is an act of worship. This is an act of worship. That I'm able to say as i eat and as i drink i do it to what to the glory of god and in that sense as we gather our gatherings are there to serve our scatterings aren't they our sundays are there to serve our our mondays and over the last few months that has been the underlying idea behind what Paul in Ephesians has been saying. We've just tracked consecutively through through Ephesians and underlining it all has been everyday life, hasn't it? We've hit marriage and we've hit parenting, and last week we began on the workplace. And today, we're on the other half of the workplace relationship. Today, we're looking at what Paul has to say about those of us who are in authority in some aspect of our life. So, open up your Bibles again. Ephesians 6, verse 9. This is what he says. And masters... Treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Now we saw last week that where Paul talks about masters and slaves here, that doesn't parallel to modern day slavery which is a forced abusive behaviour elsewhere, elsewhere the Bible talks about that. Slaves and masters in Paul's day much more parallels our workplace our, our paid kind of employment there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time that Paul writes they filled every position from manual labour right the way through to very high faluting uh, political or commercial roles, it's much more parallel to our workplace. And so when he says masters, he's talking about those who are in some kind of authority. Now that might be positional authority. I want you to just have a a couple of minutes now uh, to consciously locate where you are in authority in your life. Almost all of us will have an authority position in our life. It may be positional, i.e. you're the CEO or the manager, you're a trustee, you're a union rep, you're a supervisor, you're a teacher, you're a section leader, you're an officer or an NCO, you're a deputy, you're a parent or a grandparent, you're a governor, you're a scout or guide leader, you're a brownie leader, you're a brigades leader, you're a club captain, you're a phase leader, you're an exec member, you're a society rep, you're a life group leader, you're an elder or you're a deacon. So there's a list of some positional authority you might have, which means by the the, the role you have, the title you have, gives you some kind of authority over over others. So can you locate some of those in your life if if you have them? Or it may be you're in authority in an influential way, much softer, much less tangible, but in many ways of a greater impact. For example, you might be in authority because you're the senior employee i.e. you're on the same paid grade as half a dozen others, but you have the longest service record. You've been around re- the block, so your voice is heard slightly more than the other voices. Or maybe it's just a relationship where you're older in age and therefore have an element of being in authority. You're a 60-year-old in discussion with a 30-year-old. You're a 20-year-old talking to a 14-year-old. You're a 50-year-old talking to a 12-year-old. It's it's not about your position, but you're influenced by your age, means that you're in authority. You're going to influence them in a significant way, potentially for good or for bad. Maybe it's something about your intellectual speed, how quickly you can think and you can tie other people in knots. Maybe it's about your verbal clarity and your persuasiveness in language. Maybe it's about your force of character. They're influential positions of authority. Do you see the difference? So what I want you to do is say, where in your life do you have a positional responsibility? You have a title or a role or a responsibility which puts you in authority. In the family context, big sisters, big brothers have a natural authority over younger ones. And where do you have an influential kind of authority? Now, have you located one, two, three, four potential relationships where you're the one in authority that this can apply to? Have you got them just bullet pointed in your, in your mind? Now of course our paid employment is a key arena for this. Last week I put this slide up about hours worked in the UK, so if you're privileged to be in full-time employment you'll work an average of 43.6 hours a week and that's how it it breaks down. So of course if we're in paid employment that is a key arena. But it's not the sole arena. I'm very struck by any list of the most demanding jobs, this one, the next slide is taken from the beginning of last year but it's very representative of any of these lists that appear, always top, always number one is the stay at home parent. And that highlights for us that our paid employment, our remunerated position, is not the sole arena to be thinking about. Actually, any kind of volunteer work, any kind of work in the home, um, any kind of uh, big society kind of contribution is going to fall into this question. And that's why I like the UN work committee's comment about what work is. I showed this last week, the next slide, but I think it's very helpful and very revealing. The opportunity to contribute positively and purposefully to a wider community or cause is a key requirement for a sense of identity and personhood and should be pursued as a commonly available opportunity. Note no reference to payment, no reference to money or the exchange or remuneration. It's actually about needing work and the opportunity to contribute in all sorts of ways. So, again, how's your list? I'm I'm labouring this because I don't want anyone to to not feel this is applicable because the use of authority is massively important to get right. So if you've got your arenas in your mind where you have authorities I've just, just thought of another one but if you have more elderly parents who are at a stage of life where things are getting tricky for them you start as a child to have very significant authority over them. How do you use it? So think of the range of locations. My definition of the right use of authority therefore is this, next slide, and I'll I'll show you how I got it from this text. It's the privileged responsibility of maximising others' welfare and productivity in the same manner that God relates to the world. So being an authority, having an authority over others, is a privileged responsibility. Privileged, i.e. not everyone gets given that responsibility. Responsibility because it comes with a certain weight and burden. Of doing what? Of maximising others' welfare... And productivity. Two sides of the same coin, isn't it? If you want high productivity, welfare is a key to that equation. If you want high welfare, people feeling they're productive is important. I think the definition works if you think of parenting, a workplace, if you think of being a CEO or a trustee, if you think of a responsibility in the life of the church, if you think of being a union rep or a society member. That's the definition. Let's have a look now at Ephesians 6 verse 5. And we'll pick up more quickly and you can pull out the application as you come. There's two earthy applications which are rooted in one life orientating and habit transforming motivation. So there's two applications and one motivation. Application one is in the little phrase, in the same way. Do you see it? It says this and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Now that was radical in Paul's time, because having said there's some certain ways that slaves are to react to masters and respond to them, he then says, but it's utterly and totally equal, the masters need to respond to the the slaves in exactly the same way. And last week we saw it was something about giving all your heart. Pull into a lay-by for a moment and have a brain break. Do you remember if you were here the illustration I gave last week? I know some of you really enjoyed it if you were here where you went out with a group of friends to a posh restaurant and you're sitting at one side of the restaurant and just as the main course is being cleared up, you feel a hush descend on the restaurant. Do you remember the story if you were here? Oh yes, well, lots of ladies, yes. You'll see why if you weren't in a minute. And you start to look around and think, well, why is the restaurant going so quiet? And over in the far corner you see a younger couple who have clearly booked the poshest seat in the restaurant months earlier because it's like the pristine prime location. And the young man is down on one knee with that velvet black box in his hand. And now you ladies particularly are going, oh beautiful and romantic as you've gone out and you're seeing this witness and the hush descends into your corner as well as everyone tries to just catch a word that's being said and all you hear slightly quivering from the young chap's lip as, as the bride-to-be's flushed face is full of joy, you hear him say I want to give you my heart and we thought last week, we know that does not mean he's going to grab the soup spoon and start digging into his chest to get out that pulsating mass of muscle, is he? And say here you go love my heart. Also we noted it wasn't simply he was saying I want to give you my emotions he's saying I want to give you everything I'm offering it you all. That's what we mean by that phrase, isn't it? And that's the key word that Paul had used about how slaves were to relate to their masters. If you look back at verse 5, he says, with sincerity of heart. If you look at verse 6, it's doing the will of God from your heart. If you look at verse 7, it's serving wholeheartedly. And last week, and you can listen back on the internet if you weren't here, last week we saw that each one of those hearts had a different reference point. The first one in verse 5 was about a respectfulness. That just as slaves, employees are meant to be respectful up to those in authority, that's also reversed in the same way. Masters, respect your employees. How many of you had a boss that has been very dismissive of you? How many of you know the CEO who ignores the janitor? Paul says, not at all. Respect each other in both directions. The second heart reference in verse 6 we saw last week was about reliability. He said to the slaves, don't simply work hard when your boss's eye is on you, and be a slacker when they're not looking, but be reliable, consistent. And he says, in the same way, masters, bosses, managers, parents, CEOs, be reliable, work hard. Don't just be that self-promoter who claims the work of your subordinates as your own as you report it up the ladder. Don't be a a self-pleaser. And the third reference to heart was in verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly. It means exactly what we think it means. It means don't be lazy, don't be complacent, don't be a slacker. And how many of us have been bosses or are bosses or no bosses, where actually they're a bit lazy because they can delegate work out to others, because maybe they're not under quite such close scrutiny as someone further down the ladder, they're just lazy with it. So Paul has said, in the same way, masters be, everything I said about you slaves, masters you're the same. Be respectful to those who are under you. Be reliable in the way that you work, consistent to those under you, and be hard-working. Don't be lazy because you have the position that would allow you to be a bit of a slacker. The second application, though, is specific to those in authority. And it's in the second sentence there of verse 9. Do you see it? Do not threaten them, since you know that it is he who is both their master and yours who is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Now, it's interesting there, the language, isn't it? Don't use your authority to threaten. Now, have any of you been in the workplace where that's exactly how productivity has been encouraged? By threat. Financial threat. Unless you put the overtime in, you'll not be in the job. We'll find someone who's willing. Physical threat. Have you, as a parent, fallen into that? Do it! Verbal threat. The tongue can be very vicious, can't it? And wounding. Now in Paul's day, the default route to productivity was threatening in the workplace. And showing favouritism, having one you preferred over, over another. Which is that reference there. And Paul radically twists it. He says, no, no. Do not threaten, do not use your authority in an abusive, threatening kind of fashion. Instead, be respectful and reliable and hard-working, but do not threaten. Let's pause for a moment before we go on to the motivation and just think about that. Think about the arena of authority that you're in, whatever you identified, whether it's in paid employment or elsewhere. If you have children or grandchildren, then by default it's over those who are younger than you, those children. Maybe it's over parents who are at a stage of life where they need particular care and and your influence is enormous. And think, actually, are you respectful to those who are below you? Or could you do that a bit better? Are you reliable in the way you work or are you a bit of a self-promoter? Claim your subordinates work for your own and... Uh, do you really work hard? Or do you sometimes use your slightly more powerful position to take your foot off the gas and, and relax? <coughs> now, with the give it your whole heart analogy that Paul's used here, this, this I give you my heart, put your back into it, there's one important note just to make. Paul writes about the workplace at the end of a string of relationships. He's definitely prioritised them. So where he says give your whole heart to your workplace work rightly, put your back into it, he's saying but be strategic to reserve energy for the more important relationships that come before it. And the ordering in Ephesians has been cultivating our relationship with God and how it flows into the life of the church, number one, that was in chapters 4 and 5. Then it was about marriage, if we have the privilege of being married, about reserving energies for married life. Then it was about parenting, if we're the privilege to be a parent and reserving energies, there. and then it is the workplace, do you see the order? So he's very clearly saying your workplace is a massive arena, you give it all you've got, you work hard there, but he's saying once you have reserved the appropriate energy levels for God and his church, for marriage and for your children, then the workplace gets the rest. And that's really important, isn't it? Because many of us will know marriages or be in a marriage or look back on a marriage which has now ended, and a key component to its collapse was a wrong prioritising of time and energy and the workplace got too much and the marriage or the parenting got too little and many of us know friends or ourselves are on the cusp of perhaps abandoning church and faith for exactly the same reason that work has taken a priority over and above cultivating a healthy, flourishing relationship with God and exhibiting it into the life of the church. Let's pause, get our wits around us. Let's see the motivation, because application without motivation is just legalism and is very unhelpful. So where does the motivation come from? Well, it's rooted in one motivation which has the potential to totally reorientate your life and totally redefine how you live your habits of life. It's that we're there to showcase what God is like. Look again at verse He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, application 1. Do not threaten them, application 2. Why? Because or since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Masters are being called to emulate, to show what God is like in the way that he leads and has authority over the world. That's why my definition said maximising welfare and productivity in the same way, in the manner that God relates to his world. Because we are mimicking what God himself is like in how we live that authority out through, through us. And right the way through this list of relationships that the last few months has been, has been that crucial motivation. That all these relationships are rooted in an ability, a desire, a longing to display what God is like to the world. Ten times through this set of relationships, marriage, family and now the workplace, ten times a little word as is used to link the the human relationship to a displaying of God. So, for example, in sentence 22, he says, as you do to the Lord. In sentence 23, as Christ is the head of the church. In sentence 24, as the church submits to Christ. In sentence 25, as Christ loved the church. Sentence 29, as Christ does to the church. Explicitly in sentence 32, talking about marriage, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Then again in sentence five. As you would obey Christ. Sentence six. As slaves of Christ. Sentence seven. As if you were serving the Lord. And then explicitly again in sentence nine. See the wonderful reality of the way God has made our human relationships. Is that every single human relationship exists to show what God is like. And how we should respond to him. Husband to wife. Parent to child. Child master to servant. And our response to a loving, faithful, loyal spouse is a response of love. And our response to a loving and caring and teaching parent is trust. And our response to a just and a good master is obedience. And that has the potential, doesn't it, to reorientate our life, because it marks the direction we're now travelling in. I'm travelling towards displaying God, that's the orientation I now have. My workplace is not about making money, it's not about uh, providing a stability for my children, it's not about necessarily the dignity of work. My workplace is now orientated on displaying Christ. My marriage is now orientated not on friendship, compatibility, sexual chemistry my marriage is now orientated on displaying Christ. My parenting is not now orientated on having the easy life or raising highly educated children or citizens of the world. My parenting is now orientated on displaying what God is like. So it radically reorientates what our life's direction is about and it radically defines how we travel towards that destination, the way we act, the habits we have, doesn't it? I'm now being a boss to show what God, the perfect boss, is like. I'm now being a spouse to show what the perfect spouse is like. Do you remember a few years ago, those little plastic bracelets were were doing all the rage in church circles with WWJD? What would Jesus do? Do you remember that? Now, in some ways, I wasn't a massive fan of that. Because I remember going up to someone who was very sick, and they saw the band on my hand... And uh, they said, "What does that mean?" I said, "It means what does Jesus do? and uh, what would Jesus do?" And they said, "Well Jesus would heal me, wouldn't he?" So in some ways, you've got to be careful, because we're not Jesus. We're, I, I mean, that's a serious point. But in other ways, they are extraordinarily helpful, aren't they? As I'm in an argument with my wife, what would Jesus do here? As I'm thinking about how I claim my expenses, what would Jesus do here? As I'm thinking about the pay level I'll give to junior staff, what would Jesus do here? As I'm thinking about the next couple of hours when I know that no one will hold me account to how I spend it in the workplace, what would Jesus do here? Because that's what all these relationships are about, putting Jesus on display. So I want to just finish very quickly with three pivotal questions. Some are Christians, some aren't. Here's the first question, coming from out of all of these relationships. Is, do you see God clearly? Do you see him as the loyal and faithful husband? The spouse who will never desert you? Do you see him as that loving, caring parent? The wonderful father who embraces and loves? Do you see him as that good, strong and just master the boss, the CEO? Do you see Jesus clearly? Secondly, do you savour God fully? Savour. Because knowing Jesus and following Jesus is not a doctrine, it's not a theology. It's a relationship and you savour relationships, don't you? So do you savour Jesus? Do you love him? more than your wife more than your perfect man you're waiting to meet because he is the husband who is better than any wife or husband any of us could have. Do you, do you love him like that? Do you trust him like the father who was way better than your dad? Even if your dad was exceptional Do you trust him? Totally Do you obey him like the good, perfect master he is, knowing that obedience to Jesus maximises your welfare and your productivity, like no obedience to any earthly master ever could? And thirdly, do you show God rightly? If you're a spouse or a partner, what do you need to adjust to show God more fully in that relationship? If you're a parent... Or a child, what do you need to do to show God more fully in that relationship? If you're in the paid employment or whatever arena you've been thinking of today, what do you need to do to show God more fully as a master, one in authority, as one responding to that authority? These relationships, our marriages, our parenting and our workplace are better when they're done with Jesus at the heart. Because they're fulfilling the purpose God gave them. We're married to show what God is like. We have children to show what God is like. We have a workplace to show what God is like. Orientate it around that, and the rest will flow. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to close with two songs, deliberately chosen. The first is called Hungry. It's a song that will help us express a longing for more of God in any of those relationships. And then the second song is the classic Be Thou My Vision, which hopefully will set us with the idea that Jesus is our vision. So we'll come hungry, and then with the vision there. Let me pray for us. Absorb some of this, just for a minute before I pray.